And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers, and welcome to episode number 11, the Turn It Up to 11 episode of PNR's This Old Marketing. As always, if you end up liking the show, please do consider subscribing via the iTunes or Stitcher links. Those you can find in our show post on our own, very own, fancy URL, thisoldmarketing.com. And also, as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the multi-Grammy award-winning uh, Content marketer, how are you, my friend? Another week of polar vortex. Um, did did I miss something? Are the Grammys this week? Is the that Grammys tonight? are yeah, the Grammys are tonight, my friend. Oh, I, and and people need to know that we're recording early on Sunday again. Uh, we did last week because you were leaving for Europe, and now we do this week because I'm leaving for Europe. That's so, exactly right. That's exactly I, right. No, it's freezing out. It's freezing. It's snowing. It's supposed to drop. Let's see. It's about I don't know five degrees here right now in Cleveland, Ohio, but it's supposed to drop to like negative 10 and they're already talking about the kids having off school this week so very nice but very I, get nice. To go, I get to go warm it up in copenhagen uh where i believe it's it's right around 25 or 30 degrees so that's fantastic that's right well you're actually going to be warming up then by going to <laughs> northern europe <laughs> who knew <laughs> <laughs> who knew my friend well you know i will tell you uh without rubbing it in that it's a lovely 75 degrees here in los angeles and i'm sitting in shorts and Drinking a cold drink. I'm sorry, so. that's boring. <laughs> it's, it's always right? sunny in 75. I don't know if I could, I could handle it. I would yeah. probably go crazy. Yeah. Um, well, we could use some rain where it's really dry here, so we could absolutely use some rain. Well, you could take some of this foot of snow I've got outside the front door. You could take any of that you want. There you go. Well, we have a ton of news. It was a regular smorgasbord, if you will, of content marketing news this week. Um, and we'll start with one that I would absolutely love to get your take on, um, being as familiar with blogging and guest blogging as you are. Um, Matt Cutts, the kind of SEO spam guy for Google this week. Well, I mean, he had a couple of posts this week. He was like rather prolific this week. He had mm-hmm. a couple of big posts this week. The first one was this uh, article um, and subsequent videos he did on and it really just got everybody in an uproar called guest blogging is dead basically cut the cord on guest blogging because it's 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 out now and it it really is a blog about how how guest blogging in general was sort of grown up around this idea of getting links and links back to your own website and that element is dead to me it seems like a little much ado about nothing because it seems to be not a lot of change with the exception that it kind of does put a fork into any kind of SEO link strategy that you might have or, you know, getting, getting guests. But what did you make of this whole thing? You know, it's interesting. Well, first of all, I mean, Matt Cutts moves markets, right? If this was a financial yeah, market, absolutely. you know, you, you, would, you would see the yeah, stocks right. rise and fall based on what Matt says, and he's been doing it for years at Google. Really, really smart guy. My, I guess my take is this. I've, I've read this a couple of times. Of course, there's, there's hundreds of comments. There's multiple additional uh, reporting based off of what Matt Cutts is saying. My take is there's too many companies that are doing things based on how Google interprets them. Right. And this Great is point. the problem. This, this is absolutely the problem. And this is where uh, demand media got in, pr- in problems with their model because they say, hey, if we create lots of short uh, articles and we spread them out all over the place and we just build this quality, quantity uh, content issue, we're going to dominate. And you know what they did? They did dominate for about a year. And now they've fallen 
from grace because of the fact that now Google doesn't look at that kind of content as quality. They're looking, you know, they're not, it's not quantity issue anymore. And so now they're done. Same thing here. My take is this, and you know, I mean, Content Marketing Institute has a multi-author blog. We, we do, we take guest blogging. We've been doing it for four years now. Um, I think that that's been a very common practice for a hundred years <laughs> of publishing, right. uh, taking guest authors. And if you're going to do guest blogging, you do it because you're trying to grow your reputation. You're trying to have a take on a piece of content and you're trying to you know, get yourself and your message out into the community. If those are the goals, then fantastic. Continue to do guest blogging. If your goal is a guest blogging is to get links, you should have never been doing that in the first place. I, I think they're just bad, bad marketing goals. I mean, what do you I, think? I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, it's once again another step in the direction of why quality matters and why you know quantity doesn't as much anymore. And to me, it just speaks volumes about. I mean, there was a great comment. Uh, you know, Jason Falls actually put out a post and, and on his Facebook page, and and there was a great discussion going on there. And one of the comments, and I can't remember who actually made it, said basically, "Look, if if." If your if your goal is to bring somebody of quality into your blog and have them espouse a viewpoint that is you know akin to yours is a point that you don't necessarily want to make or someone can make better than you or you you know or vice versa and your whole goal there is to educate your readers or to you know engage your readers with something that is going to be you know high quality then that it's all going to work out in the end and if your goal is to rather Except, you know, somebody who's going to, you know, you're going to get paid to put a article on your site that's going to do, you know, follow links out to some, you know, Viagra site. Well, then, you know, shame on you. And that's the really the, 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 the net net of it. I do, however, wonder about how this will affect some of the things that are going on in native advertising. I think one of the things that I've seen, at least in, in some of the native advertising sales pitches, is this idea that, you know, a brand with a certain level of Google ranking will, you know, if I'm trying to launch a new website or if I'm a brand that's struggling a little bit with SEO, a native advertising play has been sold to me in some cases as well. You can put your article with links to your site back on our site and it'll help you from an SEO perspective. Are people and I selling think, that? I, I have seen that. Yeah, I have seen that. I have seen that from some publications where they're basically saying, we, you know, because our, you know, Google rank is such and such. You can get a better ranking back if you, you know, if you use our, if you use oh, our. Oh God! You know, See, leave yeah. it to leave it to salespeople that have public, <laughs> <laughs> publishing <laughs> sites that are selling like that. Oh, stop doing it! You know, I just yeah. it's just the same old thing. You know, do do base your content creation on valid marketing goals, and I, you know, let's be. We have an SEO uh, team that focuses on search engine content. And basically, we take the content that we put out there and we look at it and say, okay, well, of course, we want to talk to human beings first, but what are some little tweaks? And I would call it, we optimize the content for Google. We don't create any content specifically for Google. We optimize, say, okay, how can we get it found better? What are some right. things that we need to do? I think that's a very smart thing to do. We should, that's basically, you're marketing the content. How are you going to effectively market the content? But if you're going to say, oh, I've got to go write for Forbes.com because I want that link. Well, okay, I guess it's dead. So yeah. you don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't yeah, know. I'm, exactly. I'm, I hope it doesn't get into the native advertising thing. I think that's just short-sighted. And, and if that's a way, if that is actually a valid way to do it, uh, Google will find out about it at the end of the day, and they'll cut that out just like 
they've been doing for years and they keep changing their algorithms and they're they're gonna they're going to try to work toward this perfection of getting found in search and so you, you can, there's no there's no shortcuts yeah well and and there was a, a someone who a long this is a long time ago someone who I was at a conference one time and basically the 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 great rule of thumb that I heard which is just a it's basically how I've sort of operated with clients and myself is when you when you have a decision to make about SEO just pretend for a moment that someone from Google, maybe Matt Cutts, you know, someone from Google is sitting right next to you, and then pretend that you have to tell them what you're going to do. And if you feel good about telling them what you're going to do, oh, it's probably a decent idea. And if you yep. feel bad about it, you know, or you would feel you know wrong about it, or you wouldn't want to tell them, then it's probably not the thing to do. Yeah, if you were a nice human being, how would you behave? I mean, it's exactly. basically <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, yeah. You yeah. know, it's interesting. The I think the other article that that you brought up uh, on Search Engine Land where Matt Cutts, again, had a yeah. prolific week, talks about how they're not using uh, any social signals when it comes to Twitter or Facebook. And I wanted to get... So basically, the whole... you know, we'll, we'll put this in the show notes as well. But basically... A Matt guest Cutts, blog, Matt if Cutts, you will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, was it wasn't really, but it's an interesting point. Right. Uh, yeah, what's your take on it? Basically, Matt Cutts comes out and says, look, we're just going... To, there's been all kinds of confusion about whether Google, in their algorithm, looks at social signals. And Matt Cutts is saying he's not using anything from Twitter or Facebook. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, I, and but then to be clear, the article then goes on to say, but they will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like so. What they're basically saying at the moment is that Google at the moment does no special crawling or indexing for uh, Twitter or Facebook in order to use social signals as a means of of drawing uh, search uh, uh, priority. And but the the article then goes on to say, but they're working on a solution to that. And many and and um, I don't. The article was a little uh, 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 unclear about this, but in some ways they said basically because there's a deal. They had a deal with real time search with Twitter, and that deal expired, and um, some of those types of things. But basically, it's coming. It, those things are coming for sure. Um, and whether or not they use Google Plus as a means, you know, they're already using Google Plus as a means of determining authorship, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, ultimately I think is a good thing. There's one single place where you can go and sort of say and claim authorship to all of these authors on guest posts, quite frankly, on things that you're doing externally to your own website and on your own website to establish authorship. And I think using the social signals of likes um, and follows and retweets and all of those types of things to determine some level of search priority feels like a good thing, but it also feels like yet another way that, you know, people will try and game the system. And so I think the assumption has been there for some time that, that social signals are being used. And, you know, this whole idea of trying to get things socially shared the undercurrent of that in in many cases, at least that I've seen, whether it's at conferences or on site with clients, et cetera, has been that's a good thing for Google. But the I guess the revelation here is is that it's not actually happening yet. Well, what would be your recommendation based on this? And obviously, I mean, it's been the the worst kept secret in the world that Google is positioning Google Plus as the place where you could really get those social s- signals working because they have control over all that. I mean, correct. That's why authorship is, yeah. is such a key issue right now. But let, let's say you read this, you know that it's going to happen in the future. Is there is there anything specific that a company out there should do right now as it pertains to sharing their content? Well, yeah. So look, I mean, this is kind of the you know 
build, you know, take care of your own nest kind of thing, right? You know, so the, just because it's not happening yet doesn't mean that you shouldn't focus on making sure that your content's getting shared. I mean, this is this goes directly to what we were talking about for the last couple of weeks with the whole content shock and organic content gets spread and, and great content wins and, and all of that sort of thing. Getting, you know, focusing on how we get our content out there, you know, as Jay Bear might say, sort of the, you know, content is... Uh, you know, matches or gasoline, and and social media is the fire, and 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 it's uh, or gasoline. I can't remember what the what the exact quote is, but but basically, having content spread through social media is a good thing ultimately, and getting people to share our content is a laudable goal. Now, whether that helps us in search engine optimization, I think ultimately is kind of a nice side benefit. You know, I think ultimately focusing too much on search engine optimization anyway is, you know, kind of a, you know, it, it's it, there's a little bit of fool's gold in there, if, if, if you know what I mean. You know, so, I mean, to your point earlier, making your content search engine friendly and that you're not breaking things is a good goal. Trying to focus on getting your content constantly where you're spending so much time and energy on making sure that you're on page one, I'm not sure that that's really the you know the, where the focus I think it's be. the same thing that we just talked about right you d- don't make these decisions based on what Google is going to do with right them. that's exactly make right. them based on what your objectives are for example let's just say that you have a core objective that uh, you want to build your audience and you want to build your subscriber network because you know that subscribers what do subscribers do maybe they buy more uh, maybe they uh, have shorter sales cycles. Uh, maybe they talk more about your products. What do subscribers do that are different? So if you said, okay, well, our goal with social sharing, as well as getting found in Google and all these things, is to build our audience, then that makes sense for your content to be shared. And you want that shared more because the more people that share it, the more people that see your content, the more people that subscribe. And you can track all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's that's what I would like. I mean, that's when we changed at CMI, what was it? Probably about two years ago, maybe a little bit more, and said, you know, our the goal of our blog is to find and keep a subscriber. Yep. You know, when we said that, it changed everything on how we look at the business. And I think you don't have to be a media company to look at that, look at it that way. I think if most companies said, you know, this is our this is the goal of our content is to grow our audience and we know that if we have a really good loyal audience that we're building relationships with, those could be our best customers, or maybe they are our best cu- customers. I think that's that's a game changer, and it's really, really simple to do, and most companies don't do it. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that I often will say is, you know, your content can be that which settles bar bets, or you can actually have your audience do something when they get to that content. You know, you it's go. so so that's you know that that's that's a that's a great uh, a great strategy to work from. Well, speaking of social media, um, one of the other <laughs> articles that wasn't Matt cuts this week um, is this idea on Twitter advertising. It was an article called "What Analysts Are Getting Wrong About." Twitter advertising. And this article, you sent it to me, actually, and it just fascinated me. It was just, the article basically speaks to how stock analysts have begun to start to discount Twitter's stock price uh, because of, well, it's kind of a link-baity even headline explaining that really it's because traditional media buyers don't currently understand Twitter advertising. Um, and so, therefore, it's not going to, you know, not, it's not going to work, which just seems odd to me, right? So it's, you know, it's kind of like because we don't understand cooking, that great food doesn't exist. It's like, mm-hmm. no, wait a minute, hold on a second here, you know. So they, they, the, the quote at the end, where he sort of sums everything up, is basically saying, look, media buyers right now are, you know, completely discounting 
the opportunity of Twitter. And he says that really, if you start to look at it, there are lots of great benefits that are happening with Twitter that are you know separate from that which you might find on advertising on Facebook or advertising through LinkedIn, which have some more granular abilities to target audiences and that sort of thing. But he thinks, and this comes right to what we talk about, content marketing, is, is that Twitter has this idea of using content to educate buyers. And he makes the analogy that says, you know, look, search was a spec on the advertising landscape a few years ago, and Facebook didn't even have ads a few years ago. So he's a big, you know, he's bullish on Facebook, or excuse me, for Twitter advertising. And, and I don't know, what's your take on this whole thing? Well, first of all, I'm going to shout out to, to Eric from, from Babcock and Jenkins. Great piece. And that's why I yeah. sent it to you because yeah. I'm thinking, and, and he starts out with the premise that there are analysts that don't understand Twitter and they're right. And because they don't understand tw- Twitter's ad model and then, okay, media buyers that should understand Twitter's ad model don't. And it really comes down to the simple uh, point where I love the whole point he goes of the media buyers are lazy. They yeah, love Facebook exactly. because it's easy. It's like if you want to make Twitter work for you, it's a little bit more expensive. It takes a little bit more time. And then, of course, they, they use um, – he uses the term grok, you know, yeah. which, I, of course, <laughs> right. got my attention right away that they don't, un- <laughs> they don't understand how content is used in advertising. And it goes back to our whole native advertising uh, conversation where Twitter is going to rise and fall based on how much of – how much important relevant content from brands is pushed through there and promoted as paid content. I really do believe that because we know that of course in mobile devices it's got to be in stream and if it's going to be in stream it's got to be helpful and relevant and make sense to people as they come across it and because that this new paid medium that Twitter is going to I think really uh, their success is going to be based on the amount of native advertising or paid content that's purchased because they, if they don't get it, they're not going to use it. We're in this period where people still don't get native advertising. And so it's funny. That's why nobody really understands the true value of advertising on Twitter. But I think they, I mean, how long do you think it's going to take? I completely agree with them. Advertising people don't. They don't totally. understand how Twitter advertising works. And they don't understand how to use content within Twitter. How long is this going to take until they get it? I mean, is it, is it 12 months? Is it 18 months? Is it six months? What do you think? Yeah, it's it's it, well. The, the, I think the jury is out on that. I mean, I think you know, as we have discussed here, advertising agencies are struggling right now to figure out this pivot um, and how content is really uh, is really changing the landscape of how of how marketing more broadly is is done. Um, and we're gonna you know in our in our lightning round that we're gonna do here, we're gonna talk about exactly that. But you know the. The, the interesting thing to me is, you know, and, and, I'm a, and, and I, I absolutely believe in what he's talking about here. I think, you know, the, the article was just so right on the money in terms of, you know, when I, when I talk to financial people, especially on, on Wall Street, they don't understand this in a way that, you know, and so they're, they're looking at it as, a, as, a, as an advertising platform that is in a traditional model and it's just not it's just not that and media buyers are doing the same thing they're looking at this and saying how do we take a direct sales approach to a platform like twitter and that's not the you know that's not the well, that's not the way to look at it well here's my here's my question and then we'll go on to the the next one is it will all advertising on a mobile device and when i say mobile i mean more your smartphone your smaller mobile devices will all advertising in the future be 
content-based or native-based in some way? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I mean, look, there are, you know, I think there are definite, you know, and this is me hedging a bet, right? So speaking of financial sort of prognostication. So, but the, the I, I, I see the, a direct need and a value in direct marketing advertising, what I, you know, basically direct calls to action yeah. kind of advertising, interruptive-based advertising, yeah. you know, and, and I see a value for that, you know, especially when you start talking about things like promotions, right? So when I walk into Target with my smartphone, I may want something to pop up to say, hey, I see you're in Target right now, and there's a sale on XYZ product that you may want to buy. And that direct advertising sort of model, I think, still works in, 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 yeah. on a mobile device. Now, how, having said that, I think that sort of lean back content experience, those th- that kind of advertising is going to be much less interruptive and more content focused. So it's a sh- it's a shift. It's a spectrum, right? Well, if we know that sixty, what well, we know right now that sixty percent of the advertising revenues that come through Facebook right now are native or content based, that. I would imagine you'll see the same thing in Twitter or more yeah. Yeah. or more just because of the way it's, uh, it's, it's a different type of um, engagement that you'd have on a Facebook because That's you're right. looking at the stream most likely. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's going to be it's fascinating. See where it goes. Good job, Eric, on the post. Absolutely. Great job, Eric. Um, and so, okay, well, now we have a number of news items and what Joe and I decided to do this week, um, being that it is the Turn It Up to 11 episode, is we're going to do a lightning round to cover some of this content here and, and get through it quickly, a number of news items. And so we're each going to take a quick take on the following stories. Um, and the first one comes from our friends at the New York Times. Um, and we talked about this last week, Joe, about how at some point somebody was going to get busted for uh, native advertising not being labeled as native advertising, and here it is a week later, and it's already happened. So the New York Times writes an article about how Shape Magazine has gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble uh, because in the September issue of Shape, there was a full-paged article called Water Works, um, and it was under the headline of News. And they go through all these studies talking about hydration and why hydration is good and the warning for Center of Science and all this stuff. And they basically then go on to promote a few products um, at the bottom of that article. So what's your take here? I can't believe they did it. <laughs> I really can't. Are they not getting paid for this article? Um, well, they're clearly – they've since gone back, I guess, and added the uh, byline of, you know, it's by shape editors, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is them – you know, the legal department was aware, right? They knew this article was there. Yeah, you know what? We we're there's just there's just too many people out there that that watching what we're doing as businesses today, and you've, we've got to be smarter than this. I mean, it's the same thing where uh, what was that in the Atlantic, the Scientology article that got yeah. caught all the press. It's the same thing, right? We've got to look at it. And by the way, they they uh, they labeled it as advertising, but it came across so one sided. Um, here's here's my take. Even let's say they even labeled it. Um, that's where we're having a struggle right now because when do you say it's an advertising and when do you say it's sponsored content? And is there an over like if you just put sponsorship on the top of it, is that enough? Is advertising just enough? I, there's a lot of gray area right now. Oh and, sure, and I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come out, but I would just say uh, rule on the side. If you're a publisher, you rule on the strictest of rules at this point. If you have any kind of a weird feeling in your gut that 
this is way too much advertising. We've got to call that out. Um, and then the other thing, this is what we do, and we just had a conversation with the editorial team at CMI. We always we said, if there is, if we have any relationship, any at all relationship with the with the people that we're writing about, we need to disclose it in any way. Yeah. Uh, that they contribute articles to us, that they pay us money in some way, uh, that they paid us money two years ago. I think we've got to say, and we did that with Contently. Like when we talked about Contently last week, right. we absolutely had a disclaimer in there and said, you know, Contently's given us money before. I want to let people know they've been a sponsor. I think that's important to say that just so that people know where we're coming from. I, I don't know where this is going to go. I mean, we'll put it in the show notes, but man, it's going to get crazy. And uh, you can't, I don't think you can, can go overboard right now uh, with too much description about what is advertising and just, just lay it out there. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing here, and then we'll move on over our lightning round here is to, to me is as a, from the marketer's perspective, right? So I've gone on record as saying as a marketer, I kind of don't have a dog in that fight. So, you know, what I want to know is from the, the products that were promoted, did it work? Right? Did did this did this advertising work? Because as a marketer, I'm going to push those boundaries as much as I can. And while the boundaries are getting figured out, I'm going to push them. And you know, because ultimately, as a native advertiser, quote unquote, you know, it's the publication that's going to suffer, not my product. And so, uh, you know, I mean, with relative, you know, with with, with relative risk there, I should well, say. Well, and it's an, and and by the way, we stink at native at uh, lightning rounds because we can't, we, can't, <laughs> right. we can't talk about anything quickly. But we just went through this. Our editorial team said, and like, if a vendor wants to uh, have their piece in our publication and they don't want to have sponsored content or native advertising or whatever advertisement on it they can go through the regular process of how we accept articles and there's nothing wrong with that we're not going to treat vendors differently from non-vendors or other contributors or marketers those are the same if they go through and adhere to the same processes now if you want to sidestep that and you want to plug a little bit of your product then that's advertising and we've got a whole other team that works on that yeah so it's all right you know there you go yeah. All right. So moving on. Let's let's try to get better at this lightning round <laughs> thing. Our number two article here is speaking of native advertising is how do media companies create scarcity in this uh, in, in this new landscape? And this was a this was a cool article. It was really kind of walking through the history of publishing and how native advertising is starting to win the day in this new scarcity. And just I mean, just to your point, there is the brand value. You know, what brand value can a publisher bring? And that is kind of the point of the article about how scarcity is is being created with the association with the brand yeah i don't know i mean i like this article i I like it from a historical standpoint i think that it's uh we've been here for a while i don't think this is anything nothing new there's nothing there's nothing new here it's basically i think that it's harder for media companies it's easier and harder for media companies to survive at the same time small media companies have an amazing opportunity today to disrupt and they will and we're seeing small media companies pop up all over the place large horizontal media companies are in deep trouble yeah. If you are a horizontal and you don't focus, and of course they, they they go in this article, this Forbes article, and they talk about the amount of lost re- advertising rub fifty five percent lost advertising revenue since two thousand five. You know where that's come from? The horizontals, the niches are doing just fine, Robert. Yeah, and I think that's what we need to take away from is if you are a horizontal, you should try to move yourself into hundreds of niches. I think, and that's what yeah. and that's what Yahoo's doing, by the way. 
Well, and it's a great and it's a great takeaway for content marketers as well. As you start thinking about what your platform is going to be, you know, I mean, it's been said not by me much more elegantly than I ever will, which is you can't go too niche, right? You 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 really the the more niche you can focus is really where you're going to attract that quality audience. Absolutely. Uh, so next our, uh, on our on our lightning round here, NewsCred, our friends at NewsCred, who I believe have, you know, in full disclosure, have also uh, spent a little dough with CMI, um, raises more money. They have raised more money, yet another round, a Series C funding, $25 million. Bucks. Um, this goes on their, their last round, which is $15 million. So they've taken a bunch of money. And the quote that really got me was at the top of this article, which is in TechCrunch, um, and where their CEO basically said, we're up against some big players like Salesforce and Adobe, and we need investment, we need a big team. And the, the reason that struck me is, we've, and we've talked about this on the show before, which is NewsCred as a marketing automation platform going up and competing with Salesforce and Adobe when, you know, where is that line of when it becomes a content marketing solution versus where it is just clearly a marketing automation platform or a, a marketing platform more broadly. And that that's a really interesting thing. You know, is is Salesforce and Adobe going to become more content marketing-like or are content, quote-unquote, marketing solutions like net, a news cred going to become more marketing automation-like? You know, I've got two takes from this. First of all, <laughs> this is our second biggest one of the year, and we're still in January. Yeah, uh, that's so, right. So we're yeah. going to th- this is this is going to be an unbelievable year of VC funding buyouts, whatever. Yep. The second thing I thought of was on that quote that you said about Salesforce and Adobe. I just thought that they were saying, "Yoo-hoo, Salesforce and Adobe, right, exactly. here we are. We're ready to be right. bought sometime in the next twelve to eighteen months." <laughs> yeah. That's what I, you know, and all, and I love the news credit. That's people, well that's said. What, that's what that's I thought. Well and, said. And so why wouldn't you put them in there? Yeah. Because Salesforce and Adobe, to my knowledge, they don't have the you know content marketing plumbing figured out like we've been talking about with Contently and now NewsCred. Yeah. So these, I mean, f- frankly, you're going to see it. You're going to see these companies if they if they want to. I mean, obviously, some of them, like a NewsCred or a Contently, might say, "Look, we want to grow and be our own company, do kind of what a HubSpot has done, where they want to go, then go public, and that's a that's a completely valid path." Or the other path is to do what you know the Instagrams of the world did, did and sell. Yeah, there's there's exactly both ways right. to go. I just thought that was like, "Hello, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, uh, right. We're just letting you know we're competing yeah. with you now. <laughs> you might want to buy us in the future." There you go. <laughs> well, we'll see if they actually wake up to that call because I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, there you go. Um, next on our list is our last on our list for our lightning round, which is, hey, marketing spending is up, says eMarketer. Um, and this uh, interesting thing, they call out a few stats, some interesting stats, I think. They call out an ad age uh, stats where they say three quarters of B2B marketers plan to up content marketing spending in 2014, and only 1% basically said they were going to decrease their content budget. I'm not sure why those 1% are going to decrease their content budget, but apparently a few people still are thinking about decreasing their budget. Big, and then there was a number dis- of other big stats disruptive, there. Well, big disruptive outdoor advertising. I think that's what they're going <laughs> for. <laughs> billboards. It's the <laughs> New billboards. Billboards. That's the new content marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so this brings us to our rants and raves, the section of the show where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is uh, we love um, or is really bugging us. And this week, uh, mine is going to be a rave, um, but really not even a rave, kind of a rave, but more of a shout out more than anything else, because 
I just came across this piece of content. I was in Europe all week and ended up seeing this piece of content on YouTube. Someone forwarded it to me, actually, and I just have to give a shout out to it because it's just such a wonderful piece of content and storytelling that I just I just had to give it a shout out. And it was just done by this group um, called EDP, which is uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this the pronunciation of this Energias de Portugal. Um, which is the EDP. It's an energy company in uh, in Portugal, and they also cover parts of South America and Spain. Um, and basically, their mission, this foundation, their mission is to bring electricity to non-electrified places um, across the across the areas that they cover. And what they wanted to do was they were going to create a brochure uh, and this brochure, print brochure, of how they deliver electricity to all these non-electrified areas. And then they decided to actually make a thing about it, about how they made this brochure. So the brochure was going to be just like any other marketing brochure. But they decided that they wanted to sort of experience what all of these people in these non-electrified areas would have to go through in order to produce a brochure. So they made the brochure with no electricity. And then they actually made a video, again, using no electricity. Had They had this hand, they showed them in the mirror using this hand-cranked manual video camera. So the camera's got this, the, the video has this really old-timey feel to it because they made it with a handheld manual camera that they had to crank about how they actually made the making of this brochure. And it's just a wonderful story about how they actually had to go use a manual printing press and how they had to duplicate it by hand and how they made the video and it was just a wonderful piece of storytelling. And it's just what it brought forward to me is that we so often as marketers try to figure out, you know, we feel like we've got this very boring story to tell. And they just took something, this little nugget, how do you make a marketing brochure using no electricity, and told this wonderfully compelling story about it. And it was just, it was just delightful to watch. And, and, and I'm hoping it does great things for them. And I want to try and follow it. See, they just came out with it. So I, I want to see how well it does. Well, it was, I, I love that the last part, it said, look at how hard it was and how difficult and challenging it was yeah. for us to make this brochure with no electricity. Even the yeah. filming of it, they said, was made without electricity. I'm sure somebody had to upload it to YouTube. But other than that... Yeah, that, that was pretty much it. But they said, if we had to go through this, just think about what it's like with people living without electricity. Exactly. And I right. got it right away. I mean, to, to your point, you always say, what's your differentiated story? And they just yeah. told the story differently than just what normal, normally we would do is like, oh, let's do the big business feature benefit brochure. Right. Yeah. And they said, no, we can do it differently. And, and yeah. I, I appreciated that. One other uh, rave I'll just quickly mention here, based on our show last week, which is uh, we we uh, we you know we got a little attention on our where are all the content strategists about the the new Northwestern course, um, and Hillary Marsh, a wonderful content strategist out there, actually wrote a blog post on this, and we'll put this of course in the show notes, um, where she talks about the differentiation of content strategy and content marketing and the importance. Uh, of that differentiation. So cheers to Hillary for actually uh, actually taking the, taking the initiative there. Well, I was so happy to find that, right? Because we yeah. were like, where are all the content strategists at that, that we're not seeing some outrage to their uh, Northwestern's definition of content strategy. And she says it really well. She goes through the whole thing and said, well, but what they're talking about is not content strategy. And I'm like, Oh, right. thank God somebody out there. <laughs> I really right. think this is, you know, this is interesting. I mean, I, I reached out to the folks at, at Northwestern, and I'm hoping to talk to them in a couple of weeks. And, and I think this is really important that they – I think we all got to get on the same page with this, right? right. That's all. And, yeah. and, and congrats to Hillary. And I commented on her blog and, and uh, just said thank you. And, 
and uh, told her that we would talk about her. So I, that was that's fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah, and she's just incredibly smart anyway. So it's just cheers to her. Now my I'm going to do a rant this week um, because if you keep doing raves, I have to keep doing rants. <laughs> I and, promise and, I'll get back on track next week. <laughs> well, our friend Doug Kessler from Velocity Partners, if we don't have at least a couple rants, he's not going to listen anymore. So we've got to <laughs> keep the rants up. So I just I, I I don't know what I was doing. I was surfing. I was looking for some stuff, and I came across two or three posts in a row that didn't have dates on them. So there was no there was a blog post or article that's no days. And I just put on my Facebook page, and I, I, here's what I wrote. I honestly don't know what it is, but when I see a blog post or article that does not have a date on when it is published, it drives me crazy. I'm starting to not even read posts without dates anymore, and I put, am I crazy? And, of course, I got 50 comments that said, yes, Joe, you're crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but I, I mean, 75. Six comments on this, almost like the the one that you had last week. Tons of comments yeah. about this stuff, about uh, not putting blog posts on. Now, l- let's just uh, let me sum up the seventy six comments. Most people said, "I I agree with you, Joe. I can't stand I can't stand when there's no dates on blog posts." But then there's some really smart people, and I wanted to get your take on this, Robert, like uh, Arnie, Arnie Ken, uh, Brian Clark, uh, Jay Bear. So three very incredibly smart yeah. people that basically yeah. said, look, Joe, we've been doing this for a long time, and we know, and Brian Clark pretty much led the way because he actually said he's never put dates on his posts as, as part of Copyblogger and said they perform better. Google see Google uh, doesn't when they Google doesn't see a date on them. <laughs> Speaking of Google, it, it it does better in the search engine rankings. But basically, he says that that evergreen content can last longer because people don't see a date. Now I look for a date. Now I'm I'm in, I'm torn. Right, I'm hearing from the smart people that no, you shouldn't put a date on because it'll perform better. And my humanness comes out and says you have to have a date on this because it drives me crazy if there's no date. So you tell me. Robert, am I crazy? <laughs> am I crazy? Well, I think you not? know. So uh, yeah, I, and I'm not gonna, uh, you know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the the smart thing here and go right down the middle. <laughs> but basically, here's what I here's what I think. I think you're not crazy as it pertains to some blog posts. Where it drives me nuts is when I'm out doing research. So when I'm out doing research for you know because I'm writing a white paper or I'm writing something that has some level of, you know, you put this word in quotes in italics, scholarly approach to it, right? Where I'm actually trying to find resources. What drives me nuts is I go to a post that doesn't have a date and they start citing research and they don't actually date the research because that really bugs me because I don't know if this is from 10 years ago, five years ago, or yesterday. And that drives me absolutely just crazy. But to Brian and I guess Jay's point on evergreen content, it really shouldn't matter the date and I don't think it does and I don't automatically look for a date on some of that content right so if it's going to be a con- piece of content that's about something that I just want to read about best practices the five ways to do this or whatever it is I don't necessarily need a date for that but when we start bringing the idea of news or facts and figures or things where the date is a relevant piece of contextualization of the content I think it's really important so if it's not going to go on the post my 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 hope is and what I try and do anyway I mean I date posts anyway but but the but what I would like to see or hope to see is if they're not going to put dates on the post at least date or give me some contextualization of time around the things that I care about and those are things usually that relate to research or you know best yeah. practices you know that kind of thing 
I know. I, I'm with you. I totally get it. Part of me as a business person is thinking, boy, we should really look at all our evergreen content and pull the dates off. And part of me is like, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But I, I, I just can't do it at this point because it just doesn't, you know, like we talked about the Google person sitting next to you when you're looking at content, it just doesn't feel right. Right. Something well, there's something wrong about it. There's something also to be said for having the age be there, right? Because it also puts out some level of, you know, authenticity to the, you know, the claim about a particular, you know, authority authority on a particular subject, right? So if you've been talking about something for 12 years, there's something to that, right? So when you go back and look, for example, one of our, if not the most uh, popular post on the, the Content Marketing Institute blog is the what is content, you know, content marketing defined. And that post, I think you wrote back in 2008 or something, yeah. or 2007. And that date associated with that is a milestone. And it's, you know, for people who are going and doing research about content marketing, about when people first started to talk about it, that's an important item to have, Right. Yeah, I think so. Even some people mentioned that, and Russell Sparkman did. And he says it's important to him that he can go back and say, here, I wrote for the Content Marketing Institute in December of 2008. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Yeah, um, it, can, it can be, certainly. It can, yeah. it can be. But, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think that everyone out there should sort of make their own decisions about it. But if it's any type of news stuff, you definitely have to have a, a date. But if it's evergreen stuff, I guess I could go both ways. But right now I'm leaning toward – Put a date on the thing. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, that wraps up uh, our rants and raves for this week. Um, and uh, it's time for Q&A. And we actually got a wonderful question through Twitter this week um, from Daniel Anderson. Um, hi, Daniel. I hope you're listening. Um, and his Twitter handle is at AndersonGBG uh, with two S's. So Anderson with two S's, GBG. And uh, he wants to know, how, what's our take on how to measure sales with content marketing? And he linked to an article in Ad Age that was actually from September of last year that talks about how, quote unquote, advertisers are struggling with ROI and content marketing. And well, let me get your take real quick. And then I have an answer for him, actually. Well, um, <laughs> so we could do a whole show on this. Yeah. <laughs> but let yes. me, because, and I, and as, as we talked about it, we have trouble being brief, but I'll yes. just say this. Uh, <laughs> most advert, first of all, when you say advertisers, you're already getting yourself into issues. Right. Because if you're exactly. looking at content and advertising, uh, they're totally different things. And this is the problem because advertisers see content and they look for short term ROI. Yep. They look for something within right away or sharing right away. or so. And you know what? For the most part, you're not going to see ROI on sales happen. I've, I don't know about you, but usually it takes at least six months, almost more than that, before we're going to see a real impact on sales, especially B2B, because you've got to go through the whole sales cycle. I mean, right. it, it, sometimes it takes nine months, 12 months for some of, uh, some of these complicated uh, buying cycles that go, go on here. So I would just say um, you need to set real goals and you need to put real uh, money and resources behind it and give it the time and the patience. And the last thing I would say before I want your take is consistency of content. You're not going to be able to throw content, even native advertising or not, out there inconsistently, not around a proper niche, and just think you're going to get some return because it's not going to happen because yeah. you've got the whole world against you and you've got other niche publishers and other competitors that are creating content as good or better than yours, and they're doing it on a consistent basis. So I would just say do it over a long period of time. Look at subscribers. 
build your subscriber pace and look at what the difference is between those that subscribe to your content and those that don't. And then you'll see that ROI path. Yeah. And, and I would just, I'll, the only thing I'll add on to that is just, it's the difference. What, you know, what marketers very, uh, very frequently want to do is either ascribe some direct sales metric or some weird sort of impact. I mean, he even talks about this metric called the impact metric, you know, so it's either very wishy-washy kind of, you know, what kind of, you know, viewing impact did we get or what kind of sales did we draw and nothing in the middle. And that's the real key is, is getting, you know, KPIs that actually make sense toward a goal, you know, understanding the difference between a KPI, a goal, and all of the things that make those up. You know, it's not, and the difference is between not being very good at it and not being there. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I know that Saturn has rings without a telescope, but, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't exist until I actually look through the telescope. It's, we've got to stop looking at content as a separate tactic rather than something that gets infused into everything we're doing as marketers. And, measuring the ROI as a as a holistic way of looking at the entirety of the customer journey rather than just a separate channel of of you know what metrics are driving you know the most revenue you know so content only purpose in some cases may be to drive more visitors into the website which then ultimately drives more you know conversions and ultimately buys you know so how does it play into the entirety of trying to facilitate a better marketing funnel, and, well, and, that's, the, and that's where the ROI is. And the last thing on this one is the fact: what what is the impact that you want to make on the person with your content? I think that's, that's right, so, exactly right. It's so exactly you could take right. your okay. We're talking about objectives for marketing objectives, which are very important to talk about. But at the end of the day, your content better be helping people live better lives, get better jobs, do something in some way. And if it's not, you know what? It's not going to be engaged in. You're not going to see any return on it. So focus on those those needs first. And then hook those up with, okay, how are we going to show that this is, this is doing something for our business? Exactly right. All right, what's our this old marketing example this week? You know, I was thinking a lot, as I do every week, Robert, I think a lot about what we're going to talk about with this old marketing. <laughs> and uh, yesterday evening, we were sitting down watching, uh, was with the kids, and we were watching the documentary about the founding of Mojang. And Mojang is the company that created the the game Minecraft. And for those people that don't know Minecraft, uh, perhaps one of the uh, biggest uh, indie successes, at least, that has ever been with uh, video games. It's sold over, I think it's well over 30 million copies now. Um, it's uh, it's just been an incredible success, and my kids love Minecraft. And if you don't know Minecraft, it's a it's a building game. You can play it on the PC. You could play it on Xbox as well. And I had the opportunity to go to their conference. Um, this is called MineCon. It was in Orlando. It was in October, I think October, November last year. And this is what I took away from it. And this is pure content marketing to me, Robert. I wanted to get your take on it. So as I'm going through the sessions, and I, of course, I'm, a, I'm an event geek, so I was, I was <laughs> loving the fact of going to somebody else's event and seeing what they're doing. And at least 50% of those courses that they had had nothing to do with Minecraft. It was how do you grow your uh, YouTube following? How do you start a podcast? I mean, things like how do you create better content right. and get an audience? And I was literally blown away. Teaching their fans to be better communicators. Teaching their fans to be publishers yeah, really is exactly. what they're doing. That's awesome. And I was thinking about that. And okay, let's just, okay, Minecraft is a great thing. People like to talk about it. It's very visual. But take, let's say you even have a boring product. What if you went out and you found your greatest advocates and you taught them how to communicate better and how to tell stories better 
and maybe and maybe not they'll talk about you but it's in the long run it could really help you and that's what my it's done to minecraft because they haven't spent one dime on traditional advertising yeah ever it's, it's and amazing. amazing and this company has the greatest margin you'd ever want to see i mean it's a case study that a business people would dream about and they've done it for the fact that they've they said hey these people are talking about our stuff how do we fan those flames how do we get them to talk about us more? Well, it's hard to get a YouTube account set up and really get a following. It's hard to get a podcast set up and get a following. Let's teach them how to do that. Yeah. What if more businesses did that? And that's what I love about that. We don't talk about events much on this old marketing. And I thought from an event marketing standpoint, that was simply fantastic. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I'm a huge fan as well. I mean, I, I had to stop playing with Minecraft because, you know, I'm a big kid at heart and I started getting sucked into it and not <laughs> not doing real work. So it uh, yeah, I had to stop doing that. So um, where are you going to be? What, I know you're off to Copenhagen this week. Yes, that's right. Um, I'm leaving for for Denmark in the next two hours, which is why we're recording early on a Sunday again. And I'll be there uh, for four days, and then I'm headed directly to Columbus, Ohio, to do the Interact 14 keynote with uh, with our good friend uh, Andrew Davis, author of Brandscaping. Oh, fantastic! So I'll see him there on Friday, and then I'll hopefully be home sometime on on Saturday. So it'll be a whirlwind week. Of, of travel and you know that because you just did it so uh, I just, are you <laughs> I'm just back yeah I'm just back from Stockholm and I'm I'm actually home for a week so I'm looking oh, forward good to for being you. home and get yeah and doing a little heads down work here and getting some writing done um, that uh, that I have that I have due and all of that kind of stuff. well it's so, probably good that that you know I was I was home this week you know you're home uh, you're home this next week and and so if something does happen at least somebody's left <laughs> exactly <laughs> so right. there you go always we always leave a light on there Joe. you go <laughs> <laughs> well that is it for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and remember if you'd like your question answered on the show please tag us on twitter at hashtag this old marketing or send an email to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com um, and this was episode number 11. Also, if you like this episode, please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links, including everything we talked about on today's show, are available at our show notes on thisoldmarketing.com. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.